0: We live right now, man, it's going down, sided for the season, you know, we're coming off a playoff win,
1: I mean, you know, we had a couple of wins.
2: Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because
1: you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting the for the next five years.
2: If you ask me, can the Bucs win game five, I put it at 40% confidence,
0: Yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is
2: is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning games six and seven.
0: Championship or bust.
2: I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 82 I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, joined as per usual by my two fellas coming off a Bucks 0-2 week. It's pretty depressing, but hopefully you guys are doing well. How are you today?
1: Oh, we're doing okay. We got a whole bunch of snow up here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, so I was busy shoveling that out uh, hurriedly before the podcast went, and... uh you know, to be honest, it's hard to deal with all that snow when you know that the Bucks just can't beat the good teams in the back of your mind while you're shoveling, your back is hurting, you're like, what's this worth, man? It's uh, it's all going to come to pieces in the playoffs. So, it, it was a tough morning, but I'm happy to be here with you guys.
2: Yeah, we also got snow, so I'm not looking forward to shoveling that later today. Also, we're recording this on Sunday morning, so for me, Liverpool play their biggest rival and the packers play later in the day so going into this bucks game i might be in a sour mood i don't know i'm not looking forward to it i'm not looking forward to too many takes from different sports angles and if three of the if all three can win that'd be great but i'm not looking forward to being on the damn bird app
0: how about give us a hierarchy kyle which which win do you want most today
2: Probably Packers first because that's a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So like, okay. you got it. Like that's got to be number one. Liverpool too, because losing to your biggest rival and they've just looked like crap since twenty twenty one started. And then the Bucks three because it's a regular season game against the Hawks and who really can- like I'm not gonna look back in a week and be like this was a breaking point for this team. Hopefully.
1: We're back in that kind of mood where if the Timber Rattlers were playing, people would have that on first over the Bucks game. They'd be, especially <laughs> with Bogdan out, it's like, ah, there's no real reason to, to watch the Bucks game. So let's see what the Timber Rattlers are up to. It's that kind of hierarchy of games.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, and uh, obviously, as Kyle said, we're recording this before the Hawks game, so you won't get any nuggets from this. It's not going to age well in that regard, but... Last week we had two of the marquee games of the year thus far for the Milwaukee Bucks. They faced off against the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers. The third game of the week against the Washington Wizards was delayed due to COVID-19. Seems that's like the Wizards sixth game in a row that's been delayed. They've really been ravaged by it. It seems like a really, really difficult situation over there. Hopefully everyone gets healthy, fully recovered, and and gets back soon. But of course, that's the first um, real impact that COVID 19 has had on the Bucs season. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it finally came to roost. So, no Wizards game, but we had two huge matchups the Brooklyn Nets, Los Angeles Lakers, both ended in L's for the Milwaukee Bucks. Not a great look, but I want to start by talking a little bit about the Nets game before we move into talking about the team more broadly after, after then they're standing after these two losses. So, against the Nets, 125 to 123 loss for the Bucs. Giannis puts up 34. 12 rebounds, 7 assists, Middleton 25, Drew Holiday 22. The usual sort of big three showing up in a big matchup. That was really nice to see. And then the Nets were without Kyrie Irving once again. Kevin Durant goes for 30 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists. James Harden in what was his second game for the Brooklyn Nets goes for 34 points and 12 assists. Close game, back and forth. Riley, I did think coming out of that one, it was one of my favorite games I've seen in a long time. I thought it was just like an awesome game, brought a lot of energy, tons of cool matchups in there. What did you think coming out of that
1: Nets loss? Agreed completely. So I ended up rewatching it last night. Um, the fourth quarter was a lot of fun. Like even though the Bucks did not win, uh, who who doesn't love like back and forth? Like, oh, KD makes a bucket. Here comes Chris. He makes a three on the other end. Oh, James Harden, he gets free. Here comes Giannis on the other. Like back and forth It was very close. I think... Uh unfortunately <laughs> the only play we still have apparently to close games is the Chris go to the corner and have three defenders <laughs> tripped all over you to try and make it work. So a little disturbing. That's still Boonholz's main play. But uh no, I I also thought it was entertaining. It's tough to know how much to I mean, there's there is stuff to take. Like Drew Holiday, he's gonna be earning his dollars in the playoffs if we face the Nets, especially if Irving is available because all night long. If Harden is out there, he was on Harden. If Harden went to the bench, he's like, all right, I guess I got to guard KD now. And I can only imagine that's going to be the same thing when Kyrie Irving is there as well. So he's going to be busy putting out fires. Uh, so salute to him. Um, and, and the other big thing was out of all the games this season, this was the one game where you could say we quote had the tightest uh, rotation. So I think only nine guys ended up playing. Uh, it it kind of puts to a uh, uh puts a lie to Budenholzer saying that, oh, you know, the the rotation's kind of tightening up and Thanasis, he's, just, he's he's, playing too well right now for us to not <laughs> include him. So Thanasis did not get to play. Um, it was just DJ Augustine, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis, and Bryn Forbes off the bench along with the starters, which I thought was pretty interesting and we can kind of discuss that too. But overall, fun game. Don't know if you could say because the Nets are so early in their formation process and they're missing their lead guard, how much whatever we saw on Monday is going to bleed into any future games or even a playoff matchup. But um, first and foremost, entertaining, like I said, the big three showed up, uh, and when they do, they can at least be competitive, which they were up until the very end.
2: Yeah, I think with this game, it was interesting in defensively, Milwaukee probably did as well as you can expect them to at, for most of the time. You know, Kevin Durant, yes, he had scored, you know, 30 points, but it took 21 shots. James Harden had 34 points, but he took 25 shots. So overall, you would say if the Nets are going to shoot that inefficiently from their two guys, you, you take it, especially someone like Kevin Durant who can score from anywhere on the court, it's just... The Bucks bench, and I think it's kind of the same thing in the Lakers game that we'll talk about. But the bench really did not help Milwaukee starters. But at least Milwaukee's three starters, box wise, box score wise, were contributing. And yeah, I think it was a really fun game. I think this is the kind of game that you want to watch more of. If this was on Christmas, I think everyone like this would have been a fun Christmas Day game to watch. It it was just a good game of basketball, and especially considering how the NBA is now, you don't really see much of that in terms of just, you know, kind of back, going back bucket for bucket. It was kind of frustrating seeing Milwaukee run the same play that they've had literally the existence of their franchise, it seems like, with Chris Middleton going to the corner. It's like you you have to think of a different play. I, I don't know why Bootenholder keeps doing that. Like, there's no other wrinkle to it. It's kind of just a hope and pray. And I know there is some controversy on the time on the clock and – Let's be real. Even if they had gotten an extra two, three seconds, they still would have ran the same damn play. So a lot to look into. I think it, the two things that kind of stand out to me is Giannis struggling. He was not at his best defensively, and he had a lot of missed free throws. This was the game that he went one for 10 from the free throw line. And then the Bucks. like I said, the Bucks bench didn't help out, but neither did the Bucks three-point shooting. I think they went like 11-38. So that's going to be. You know, if you improve one of those two, whether it's Giannis in general or the three-point shooting, Milwaukee wins. And I, I think you can at least walk away from this feeling a little bit better about Milwaukee's odds against the Nets in a series. Just because the Nets haven't looked that great since this game. You know, they lost twice to the Cavs. They did beat the Heat. But, you know, it's definitely that is still a team that's trying to figure it out. And with Milwaukee, you would hope by the time they get to the playoffs, the starting five should be ready to go and then it's just more of can this bench which did get shorter only nine guys can they play better because you would expect bobby portis to play better you'd expect dj augustine to be significantly better he didn't score any points i believe he missed all the shot Bryn forbes had a had a lot of good looks for you know kind of a dribble handoff where he goes into the mid-range gets an open shot just didn't fall can't be too upset about that just didn't go down um Pat Connaughton is Pat Connaughton, for better or worse. know, offensively, he's helping Milwaukee out this season. Defensively, there's still a lot of flaws, and it doesn't help that he's always seemingly guarding the other team's best player, which I don't know why you would do that when Torrey Craig is sitting at the bench, but that's a whole different discussion.
1: Go ahead, Riley. I was just going to say, so... Following up on Kyle's point, I think uh, can't underrate the fact that DJ Augustine and Bryn Forbes combined for two for 14 from the floor uh, and didn't make a single three. And I think Chris was also 0 for from three. Um, so definitely an outlier shooting night from three for us and quite a bit of one for the Nets as well. Um, at, at this point, I'm not sure if we can expect a lot better from D- DJ Augustine. He's been... Uh, right in the struggle bus for sure during the year. I can't tell. It doesn't seem for him like it's necessarily like a athleticism thing. Uh, I, I don't know if it's just him trying to figure out his space in the lineup or like how to play off of other guys. But I agree that like Bryn Forbes, he got a lot of open looks, especially in the fourth quarter. They like spammed the Bryn Forbes Giannis pick and roll like four or five times. And every single time Bryn Forbes got wide open and just missed every single shot. And obviously, in a game where you lose by two points, making one of them would be quite helpful for putting you into position um so I don't know what to you know I wouldn't say necessarily that I expect a lot more like you know more than zero production from dJ augustine would be helpful um especially when it comes to scoring, but how much more to expect from him I'm not sure this you know a couple of, you know about ten plus games into the season. the other thing is um yes, that last play was really annoying, but there was there were still options where I think had there been enough time on the clock, like you saw Giannis like dive bombing the basket, had he like reached his hand up, he might even be able to like tap in the miss or whatever. So it's like it, that. I think that exemplifies that. Yes, there's still issues with boon holes are going to whatever the same exact play that everybody expects. Uh, I remember like last year against the jazz, we lost on the last seconds or did Chris turn it over and then, Bogdanovich like wanted on the on the other end or whatever is really ugly. So, but the fact that other guys were moving, there was an option for other you know outlets. It's not so much like everybody's standing around and watching Chris. Um, It just seems like poor execution, which is in the end of the world this early in the season. Um, So I don't know. I agree that the bench could have played better, but I'm not sure how much, how much better to expect from that really.
2: And I was wrong. Giannis did shoot well from the line. He was six of eight. So defensively he was still poor, they, but. I was thinking the Dallas game for the free throw line
1: the issue is Marv Albert and Chris Weber couldn't keep Giannis free throw struggles out their mouths the entire evening I was like I'm, I'm getting extremely tired already. and we've only done like four national games extremely tired of the Giannis narrative and like discussion around him talking about it and it is true so that's it's, I'm annoyed by it because it's true but talking about the free throws thing and then talking about the like, I, if I hear anything about a wall anymore the rest of the season, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind because it's just like, that's all people talk about. And it's true. It's a worthwhile thing to talk about. It's like, it's so, I'm so tired of it now that we've dealt with it for like three seasons at this point, and I'm done with it.
2: I'm just done with Marv and Chris. They're just <laughs> terrible. And I don't want the Bucks to have another nationally televised game on TNT.
0: I, it's ba- I mean, it's obviously bad, and, and Marvis has clearly been declining. But it's, it's really bad. Clearly, him being remote is not working for some reason. Him, like he, he, he starts talking, and he constantly interrupts when Chris Weber's about to make a point. And I'm like, can he not? How can you not hear your partner about to say something? And then, I mean, it's probably for the best because some of the stuff Chris Weber says doesn't seem to add too much into the broadcast. But regardless, um. You know, the interesting thing about the end of this game is obviously, you know, we get the Giannis narrative, whatever, like the turn has happened, right? He's no longer like the fun, loving up guy on the up and up. It's like, yeah, you kind of keep blowing in the playoffs. You seem to keep struggling with the same stuff. What's going on with your free throw stuff? People, It's it's time for people to start picking him apart in terms of his, his uh, growth cycle as a All as he a does Andy is run star. into
1: guys. That's all he does. Oh, you're going to let him shoot the three. That's what you're going to do. You're going to run into a guy. You're going to shoot the three.
0: I mean, in their defense, the Lakers game <laughs> felt a little like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, this Nets game down the stretch, I think the most interesting, the most interesting thing is we saw a very clear uh, delineation of duties in terms of who was going to be shooting the ball down the stretch to keep the Bucks in this game. So DeAndre Jordan was playing an absurd, absurdly deep in the lane against Giannis all night, like basically at the hoop. We've seen Joel and B do that before, but it seemed like Jordan was taking it to the umpteenth degree, so Giannis had carte blanche to shoot as many threes or open mid rangers as, as they wanted. So, But, you know, towards the end of the game, finally had used Giannis as a screener. Um, Zach, Zach Lowe had a great tidbit on his broadcast, on his podcast, which was like, the most Giannis had been used as a screener before this game was 21 times, and he screened like 35 times in this Nets game, which is pretty crazy. So, and, and it, that, you know... Passed the eye test too. You could clearly see it in the broadcast. But down the stretch, it was basically they would go to Giannis, Chris, pick and rolls. Chris was wide open to take the shots to get the bucks back into it. And it seemed like, it seemed like Riley, then there was like, the, there's this shifting wave of people being like, well, Chris, he's got to have the ball in his hands late. He's going to be the closer. Like, that's what you got to do. And I, I think that's good. And I think it's important. And we've talked about that before. Um, but I also don't want to lose sight of the fact that like, yeah, we don't want Giannis shooting, from deep for the end, but he can still be utilized at the end of games as a closer. But very clearly we saw Chris emerge as, as a guy who could clearly hit the hit the late shot and he wanted that three at the end too.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um it's weird with Giannis, so like closer and Giannis is I'm trying to think. He made that one fadeaway jumper over the Knicks, which is hilarious because it's <laughs> over the Knicks. But other than that, has he had like any other last second shots? I'm trying to think. I'm sure he has had responsibility in the past, but, like, for things that he's done. So I agree that, like, he's not going to be your traditional, like, give it to him and let him clear, <laughs> clear things out. <laughs> uh, something tells me that would be a disaster every time it happened, and I'm assuming the only reason he did it that one game was because Jason Kidd was coach. Uh, and it was just like, it's the Knicks, who cares? Um, otherwise, Chris is very adept, and he's very comfortable in that role because that's been his role for, like, going on five or six seasons now. Like for much of the time when he, when Jason Kidd was coached, coach, he was the closer, whether that be like the ball just ends up finding him or as by design, he's the last guy that takes a shot. Um, and I think the imperative is even greater this season where he's reached such a high level and he's playing at such a high level. Um, the issue is I think he works better and it, it probably works better with Giannis as well, where you don't have just three point, you know, three seconds to try and get him the ball and turn around and get the jumper up because People can key in on him. You know exactly what's happening. Like you said, the key is going to be, do you have enough time to at least use Giannis as a gravity threat? Um, You know, Use Drew off the ball if you need to, something along those lines, where the ball will ultimately end up in Chris's hands, but you have to try and throw the defense off by either getting it to Giannis to start or moving Giannis around or something. And so, yes, it's annoying that that's our only play with three seconds left. Um, I wish we would scheme up something a little bit different, but I like to imagine that if we had more time, Um, and the ability to actually run some sort of play uh, involving Giannis. I agree that he can be a closer without the ball in his hands because you want Chris to have the ball, and you want Chris to get as wide open as he can, and who's going to help him do that? Probably Giannis setting a screen or you know, either diving the rim or something along those lines. So I, I agree that there's a lot of possibility there. It's just a matter of can we design the plays and do we have enough time to utilize them?
2: Yeah, I think it definitely design plays. And I think Giannis, kind of like what you're saying, Riley, he can be effective as a screener. He can be effective, you know, kind of on the opposite wing where maybe he, you set a screen up for him and he can just dive to the hoop. It, there's a lot that you can use Giannis for in the quote unquote closer type role. And the thing is, just be like, he doesn't need to take the final shot. It would probably be poor coaching on Bud's part if he was forcing Giannis, if you need. A three pointer. It'd be poor to have Giannis be the one taken at three. You'd probably want Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton, or I don't know who else would be, and maybe even Brook Lopez. Like you, there's just a lot of other players that you would go to instead of Giannis. And the same thing kind of falls in line in terms of Giannis having the ball in his hands. If that happens, you know what's going to happen. He's either going. He's going to go straight to the hoop. So. Why would you make it that obvious for everyone else? At least if you use him as a screener, he can dive to the hoop. He could still pop and then make another pass if you have him completely off the ball and kind of do a flare action. like You can you can have him do other things and still be effective as a closer. And I think what Giannis is really best at is if he's close to the rim, then sure, give him the ball, let him work in the post, and then he can possibly get that bucket that you need. But it all depends on time. And yes, I would like Budenholzer to at least come up with a different play or at least don't run the same thing over and over and over where everyone knows Chris is gonna to go to the corner, even if you give Chris the ball and let him take the shot. That's fine. but don't have him go straight into the corner where he doesn't really have anywhere to navigate. Like have him, you know, like I said, just do more to get him open or let Drew Holiday take the final shot as well because both, I would say are very capable of doing so.
0: Yeah, I would agree. and let, Let's let's move on and segue before we do, you know, we can bring back Drew Holiday for sure into this conversation. He deserves a larger part of it. But let, let's do it in the context of what he did for both of these games. So when you're looking at the Lakers game, Bucks lose 113-106. Uh, for me personally, I thought it was a cons- really not enjoyable game coming off the Brooklyn Nets game. Didn't seem like either team had any sort of rhythm to them and the Lakers looked like they controlled the game but didn't seem super – I don't know. They didn't seem super – enthused or into it, in, in my opinion. I mean, that's really, you know, that's just personal. But I thought I thought the game really paled in comparison to that Nets game. I think that was, that was just the high point of the season for me. Giannis has 25 points, 12 rebounds. The obvious uh, big stat that everyone's going to point to is nine turnovers for him. Really rough night. Uh, Drew has 22 points, seven assists. Chris, 20 points, seven assists. LeBron, crazy. 34 points, eight assists, six rebounds. I mean, just an absolutely monster night for that guy. AD, only 18.6 assists, so the Bucks do a decent job of keeping him in check. Of course, it was sort of the, the role players who stole the show also in this one. Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, 7 of 10 on three-pointers, 23 points. What you, would what'd you feel like coming away from this one, Riley?
1: Uh, agree that aesthetically, it was not the most pleasing game to watch. I don't know. it. It's tough because both of these games, you could point to and say they were outlier shooting nights for the other team. Uh, especially like LeBron going six to 10 from three and Contavious Caldwell Pup going seven to 10 from three. Like LeBron is like an okay three point shooter, but generally speaking, you're going to be okay if he's taking threes and like KCP, that was just a lot of like driving kicks out to him. Um, it, it felt like, you know what? I'm actually just looking at the box score now. I only realized that Wes Matthews did not start. Is there a, is there a reason why he didn't start? That's hilarious. If, uh, I don't know what to make of that, but that's hilarious. So anyway, so outside of that, um it's like it's hard for the Bucs, I think, to match up against LeBron and AD because the way so I didn't mention this in the Nets game because we we're probably gonna just talk about this later, but like there was a size mismatch um for the Bucs against the Nets where like DeAndre Jordan, like you said, he's really down in the in the lane, in the paint, waiting for Giannis to come at him. And because of that, like I don't know if it was like KD or somebody else is always stuck on Brooke Lopez, guarding him out on the paint. I think it was actually Jeff Green got the call to like guard him on the paint. There were multiple times where Giannis got the ball to Brooke. Um, and then he just like waltzes into the paint and scores sort of a similar issue for us against the Lakers where like, how do you guard somebody who is as mobile as Anthony Davis or LeBron James and Giannis isn't necessarily. A, and like, you also have Marcus all out there and Giannis isn't necessarily like a shutdown individual defender. And so that was the thing where it wasn't aesthetically pleasing. They shot really well from three. We shot, I don't know, like I think 32%. So like, okay, decent from three. Chris went three of three six from three. Um, but the, the main issue is I'm not sure how, if they have that much size that they're going to run up there, we'll be able to match up. And so every possession, especially late in the game, was like, let's just switch Pat Connaughton onto, onto you know Montrez Harrell or let's, you know, Pat Connigan stuck out with LeBron James out on the, you know, perimeter, or Brooke Lopez does, and so my main issue was not too concerned about the score, but how we're going to defend them, and I didn't see much in this game that was like, oh, we have a plan. Now, it's early season, first time we've seen them, but a little concerned about how we're going to handle that.
2: Yeah, the Lakers are a really good team, and it was on full display. I think you can only do so much. Kind of the same thing with Kevin Durant and James Harden. You can only do so much to try and limit them, and he did a good job with AD. And LeBron just is LeBron. It is what it is. But especially with KCP, it seems like a lot of Milwaukee's threes that they were allowing were just easy driving kicks to the corners, kind of not really having that much paint defense, or rim protection, whether it was from Brooke or Giannis or Bobby Portis when he was in, it just seemed as though Milwaukee really struggled to keep up with the Lakers, which is understandable. And you can't point and say, well, Bud's not, it's the zone drop because the Bucs are trying to switch. The Bucs are trying to do things. It's just that was the kind of night. I don't know if I'd call it a shooting out water night because, again, like a lot of KCP threes were all wide open, and I feel like that's just how the Lakers drew it up. And also one of the things that I noticed that Lakers, did, they really keyed in on Chris Middleton. They made him work for every basket. He he still had his buckets, but he, it was not as efficient as we were seeing. It wasn't as easy as it was coming for him. So that was kind of tough as well. And then you kind of just look and yeah, it definitely felt worse than a seven point loss. I had tweeted that it feels worse. And if it wasn't for Drew Holiday, that game would have easily been a blow because in that second half, Drew Holiday was the only positive thing walkie had going for them it was another note not a great night for the bench it was not you know a great night for Giannis with all of his turnovers granted the Lakers got to one point where they just stopped trying to play defense on him and just took a bunch of charges in the paint I don't know what more you can do in that regards like Gian, like you don't want Giannis taking a bunch of threes you don't want Giannis incorrect like taking a couple dribbles and doing a like mid-range but when he's attacking the rim they're just it was very frustrating just because a couple of those fouls that Giannis got were questionable, like his um, offensive foul where he elbowed uh, Montrez Harrell. That was called for flagrant. I wouldn't say that was a charge. So that's kind of frustrating. He had another one where it was just like, I said a lot of dumb fouls slash fouls that Giannis should know by now that they're going to happen. So it's kind of on him to try and figure it out, but it, yeah, it's just more the manner and how Milwaukee looked in that second half that makes me feel less, you know, optimistic than the Nets game and how they
1: lost. Would you guys say, having watched this, so again, I'm basketball dumb, so I don't really know what I'm watching, but was this like, especially in the second half, the most switch heavy game for the Bucks because it seemed like every possession they were. So reticent to let, especially LeBron, like have any moment where he was free of contact, where it was like constantly like either Pat's getting switched out on him, or Brook, like it, it was just. And part of it's like the Lakers don't even move all that quickly. It was like the most lackadaisical like screen set by AD. LeBron would like back up two feet, and then all of a sudden Brook Lopez is guarding him. Did you? Would you say that was like a trend, or am I seeing something that isn't actually there?
2: They definitely did more switching with their bigger players. I didn't notice it as much with the guards, but if it was like a Giannis Brook, they would switch, or you know, Giannis and Portis, they would switch, or Brooke and Portis. So definitely with the bigger guys, it was more switching than with the guards. I couldn't tell with the guards, and I couldn't tell it's like Middleton, but I definitely noticed with the big guys.
1: And I think that probably ties mostly to the fact that LeBron James runs everything and uh, it's the LeBron AD pick and roll spam has been the thing since they got together. So that's probably more indicative that the fact that you're seeing those big guy switches more indicative of who it is that has the ball mostly for the Lakers.
0: Yeah, I mean, strategically, that, <clears throat> that tracks a lot, right? Like, you're not, you don't really necessarily have to switch against the, the likes of Dennis Schroeder. You, you could probably even you could go under the screen quite a bit with him, even. Yeah. Contagious Caldwell Pope, they're not going to run him in pick and roll, so it doesn't really matter. Certainly was more switch heavy. I mean, let's just parlay that into the discussion that, that I think is certainly worth having. We've been, we wanted Bud to try new stuff, we wanted him to see, you know, experiment with switching defenses. Still, I just don't understand. It still baffles me to no end how they were able to incorporate switching all of a sudden into the Boston series two years ago. And then all of a sudden, like last year, they just suck at it with basically the same team like that. that I, I will never quite understand why they sucked so much last year at it. Um, but regardless, there's clearly switching this year. They're trying new stuff offensively. They're doing they're using Giannis as a screener. Who knows if that's his actualized role or not? Drew is, they're very clearly trying to work Drew into more of a a playmaking ball handling role. I think he showed a lot of that in the Lakers game, showed a lot of ability to create stuff off the dribble, get some buckets when the, when the bucket, when the bucks really needed them. Defensively, you know, the switching is what people wanted. It's not always going to look pretty. It's probably going to take a while to get instituted. I mean, you know, at this point, Kyle, it's, it's kind of like, it's tough because we have to take our lumps We're going to see some probably difficult stuff, but it does feel like at the very least, we need to kind of at least acknowledge that he's trying some new stuff, and we have to hope that it gels by the end of the season.
2: Yeah, Bud has made adjustments. Bud has tried changing things. The only thing we can probably critique Bud on at this point of the year is his minute allocation, which is not great to say the least, but that's probably his – only flaw like yes he is trying to tinker things on offense yes he is trying to tinker things on defense that's literally all we are asking for out of this regular season from him is can you at least show the ability to try new things even if they don't work are you at least willing to try are you at least willing to show that maybe we can't just do the same thing over and over you can't just run your base your base five out system you can't just stick with your zone drop scheme if you're going to continue running that that's going to make us all concerned come playoff time So at the least, Bud is doing that, and I can't be too upset with him on that end. Like I said, who he's giving minutes to off the bench, that's probably the only gripe I really have with him this season, because, and maybe you can try and challenge dumb Giannis fouls more, but, you know, out of the things that we were saying, like I said, we mentioned in the beginning of the season, Bud has to try new things, he has to at least show it, and he has, and... They're not working perfectly, but it's going to take time. Like, you can't just expect them to automatically have it work in one game. But they are trying, and I can appreciate that.
1: I think now that we have this, now that we're seeing something new. I get why Bud didn't want to do anything new because it was a lot more fun to just win every game by 20 <laughs> points, doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, and I, I was getting tired also of, again, Chris Webber being like, look, they didn't know what they're doing on defense. They're not talking to each other. Oh, little man on Montrezl Harrell, little guy, little guy. I was like, okay, I'm, let's go back to, <laughs> let's do the drop zone, please. I'm, I'm tired <laughs> of listening to this. Um, I agree with Kyle that it's good to see something new and I think we're probably seeing it more so on the defensive ends um, because assuming is still is doing his like, oh, you guys just kind of figure it out mostly on offense. Um, the changes on offense seem to be more so like just because Drew is a different kind of player from Eric. And also it seems like Giannis is being much more deliberate about trying to, like you guys said, play off ball, screen. Um, he seems a lot more committed to passing out to somebody on the perimeter, even if it's not like you know the best, most wide open guy, or like he draws the defense totally in on himself and then passes. He seems a lot more committed to that, and so on that end, that's just kind of a work in progress as guys get used to whatever the role is, and especially how to play with Drew. Um, and I agree on defense. Not the end of the world that it looks bad, um, especially early days, and we didn't have a training camp to work on it or anything. I do worry a little bit about whether or not we have the personnel necessarily to run like a really good switch. But it, again, it the main thing is my issue is I saw it mostly working or happening against the Lakers with the big guys. And those aren't necessarily the guys that you necessarily want to switch with. So um, I'm willing to obviously keep it, you know, give it a lot more time. Um, like you said, maybe if Tory Craig ever gets out of the garbage time lineups, maybe he'll be somebody who you could try and do something a little different with. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's good overall. It, it, I don't think I'm necessarily like, wow, to the point of like, well, you know, Boone he worked it out. We might, be, this is, this is the guy for sure from here on now, just because it took three seasons to get to this point. Um, but I'd take something over nothing, I guess. So One of the,
0: one of the interesting things about the, the switching is it has to be, I mean, I, I, I think it would be incredibly difficult. He's got half, basically half a new roster out there new lead ball handler. He's trying to institute the zone drop schemes, which are, you know, 80% of what they're really doing out there. It did form the basis of, you know, one of the league's best defenses they've ever seen. So I'm not, I'm not going to be like, definitely abandon that. That just sucks. Um, but the situational switching is clearly something that I, I think the the hard part for me is it's, it's so often going to rely upon the ability of, they core defenders. So it's, it's going to be drew holiday and Giannis potentially switching drew and Chris switching Giannis and Chris switching Brooke and someone switching drew and Dante switching. So the, the difficult thing is I, I don't see any bench pieces that I feel super great about, you know, conducting the zone drop scheme. Perfect right now, let alone switching properly. I don't really, I mean, clearly we've seen Pat be able, you know, has done it. And whatever you want to say about him, like, He's doing what Bud asked him to do. He's switching on to A D and like scary. I mean, he's giving it his all. I don't know what you what you would else you would want him to do out there. Like he's getting put in terrible situations and he's just trying to make the most of it. But like you're not gonna really switch with Bryn Forbes. You're not gonna switch with DJ Augustine. You've already seen that they have to change up their pick and roll coverage. Bobby Portis, dear lord, I mean the guy's just trying to figure his way out there. Um But
1: there's only so many many possessions the Gnosis can soak up for you and clean up for everybody on defense. You know, that's just that's part of the issue. with Yeah. Clean up. That's
0: the word to go with. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's tough, right? Like DJ Wilson, Torrey Craig theoretically make a lot more sense if you're looking to try and keep some of that switching going. But it is going to be something that I think is is, is starter heavy, um, which also makes it tough to. You know, to always be practicing practicing it in games. It's it's so situational. We've seen it significantly more over the last three games. I think partially because they've been facing significantly better players who offer tool sets that you're going to be able to need to switch against. So that's promising. Um, but I don't know, man. It's just a it's a weird it, it's a weird experience going from seeing them seeing Bud drill down these principles that work supremely well and the bucks having runaway success and then just having having to adapt to the idea that okay hopefully these lumps will eventually pay off better in the playoffs but we we can't know that once again it's like you we can't it starts to make it feel like the regular the regular season to me personally this year matters more than ever because we're seeing more of these bucks than i ever thought we would um in the past like we're seeing tons of new stuff there's tons of new stuff to break down but then at the same time it really doesn't matter because it all, like, is it going to come together in the playoffs? The playoffs are the only time that matters. So there's kind of like a weird dichotomy there that I'm trying to square in my head.
2: Yeah, it's kind of one of those where the Bucs needed to try new things in a regular season so that come playoff time, they don't look like they don't know what they're doing. But it's also one of those where as long as they make the playoffs, that's really when we're going to start judging them. So whether they get a one seed, two seed, three seed, four, as long as they're a tough top five seed i don't think we're gonna raise any concerns on what they did in the regular season so it's got it is a weird balance because i mean i've always been in the the regular season still matters but we can't invest all we can't think that everything's going to go exactly how it does in the regular season as the last two postseasons have proved but it's also i can also understand where someone's like i can't continue watching this over and over and over But, again, they are doing new things, but I can understand just, like, I can't continue watching the same things every time. I can't see them beat the snot out of the Pistons and then struggle against the Nets. I can't watch them beat down the Bulls, but then, you know, not be able to play cohesive basketball for four quarters against a a different playoff team. So it is a tough balance, but it is a balance that Milwaukee is working on with their schemes, and I think other, other than the potential injury what we're seeing is what we're probably going to get the majority of the time.
1: I didn't know I was podcasting with a couple of nihilists. I'm the one who says in the podcast intro, there is nothing and there's no enjoyment for <laughs> this team. I'm actually quite the opposite. So far this season, it's a lot more entertaining being in like, even though we lose the games for the most part, being in close games against good competition uh, late in the game, It's this it's more compelling in some ways to me. I I agree that, there's a certain level of like who cares into the playoffs. Um, and there is like Kyle said, the inconsistencies are annoying, but like part of that is there's been a lot of games where I haven't been able to watch it live and I just go back and watch it later and especially the fourth course, I'm like, ah, oh, this is a lot more entertaining like even though we lost it's just entertaining to watch um, the the two things, that I like questions to you guys about this team. So not on defense, because I think that's, we agree, this is kind of a work in progress, uh, sort of the same on offense. Does it feel like a lot of the shots on offense are a lot tougher this year? Like in general. So either Giannis driving to the hoop, dudes really committing to the wall. Um, Chris, I mean, he's tough shot express all the way around. There are like open threes. Um, Drew, is good at getting space, I guess, but I don't know. Like, I guess maybe I'm still not used to how the offense works with these guys where it feels like the shots are generally tougher and it doesn't help that Bobby Port is like, does all the turnaround mid Rangers in the world, which is like notoriously one of the toughest shots in basketball. Um, So maybe that's, what's clouding my vision, but I'd be curious about your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah. I would say Giannis has definitely had a tougher time getting baskets. I feel like it's definitely tougher for Giannis Drew, it looks he looks very in control, so I feel like it's not that much tougher, but they're not the greatest. It seems like he's not open a lot when he's not taking a catch-and-shoot three. Chris, no. I feel like Chris has probably gotten easier shots. Just I don't know whether it's him being more confident in the shots that he's taking, but I feel like Chris is the one where it's like, nope, everything is actually going easier for him so far, which is why he's shooting a plate so well. Brooke, no. I don't know. I feel like other than Giannis... And Drew, no one else has really seemingly has had tougher shots. It just looks more, not forced, but it looks like they're trying to do more than what we've seen in the past, which is good. But yeah, I think Giannis is the only one, because I feel like Giannis hasn't been immediately catching it on the wing and then going straight to the hoop. It seems like he's hesitating. He's taking more catch through threes. He's taking more pull-up threes. He's done a little bit of post stuff, but he hasn't done as much of the drive to the hoop, spin or euro step his way to the basket as we've seen in the past.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I I feel like they've excised some of the early shot clock possession, let it fly three pointers, which I'm Giannis. Giannis well, is the
1: only one. He'll still do it. He walks up. He's like, yeah there's 30 seconds left of this game. I'm taking this three right now.
0: <laughs> like, okay. I feel so I feel so bad. I mean, I'm glad Chris Webber was just like, that was an awful shot when Giannis went up and pulled up for the mid-range airball because it was terrible. I mean, it was absolutely atrocious. It was so there sad. Was, there
1: was that, and there was another possession where, like, Giannis just walked up to the top of the key <laughs> and, like, stood right next to Brook, handed the ball to Brook, and then Brook took the three and airballed. It was like, man, this is tough offense to watch right now.
0: I mean, it does... It, it, you know you've crossed a line when Giannis is, like, taking a wing three, misses pretty badly, and Marv, Al, Marv Albert, who's barely there, is like, Chris, I can't explain this. I'm not sure what's going on in his head right now. And Chris is like, I'm not sure either, Marv. But, oh, oh Chris, hold on. Let me speak. I mean, it's like, I don't know what's <laughs> going on with some of that Giannis stuff. I, It's fine. Like, I'm glad he feels empowered to shoot. But I do feel like some of those, those early possession trailing threes, like, I don't miss the early Eric Bledsoe heat check. No one asked for you to do a heat check three right now. It's but not a heat you know, check. Whatever thinks is a heat check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I certainly don't miss that. It does feel like, um, I mean, I'm not sure how, I haven't looked at their distribution of shots, but it does feel like the the, the player in the dunker's spot now makes the offense feel um, a little tighter like the, you know, when there's the five out, it feels like there's always the defenders kind of spread out and, and but it feels like it's it's made it a little tighter, which I have actually appreciated when it leads I feel like they've been able to when they get it when they get the ball moving, some of the more beautiful uh passing sequences, more so than I think we've seen in years past where Giannis might drive and then like he kicks it out and the most you would get is like one pass where like Brooke pump fakes, and it's like, oh, pass to one guy in the corner. How beautiful was that? But it was really just like a a basic thing. I think they've had a lot more um, interesting sequences of guys cutting along the baseline, and then kick out to the corner, do a couple extra passes. Um, I do, to your point, though, think that they are they feel like they have sometimes fallen into hero ball a little bit more this year. I'm I'm kind of okay with that occasionally, because Chris, we've seen that he can do it. Drew, you know, I think it's worthwhile for him early on to feel like he can do that. Um, I, I, honestly, it, it, it gets a little bit, it, the most most of the time it's annoying is when Giannis just pulls up for like a deep shot or whatever. Um, and I certainly don't want any of the bench players, like, I, kudos to you, Bryn Forbes. I know those mid rangers are good looks, but like, I, I'm going to go, I will not die on the Bryn Forbes mid range open look shoot, shot for in the fourth quarter. Just like run that same action with a better player. Uh it's not too hard. You can just do that. Run it with Chris. Run it with Drew. And then you have a lot more options. But regardless, like I don't I don't need those people playing Hero Ball. But I think Riley, i I feel like I've seen more Hero Ball from some of their best players this year. I,
1: I would agree. And it's probably um again, like you said, the spread of offense, the differences in that schematically is probably what's I'm mostly noting. And like you noted, like Chris He's been playing so well that it's all good that he's, even if, you know, the shots may feel easier for him, even though aesthetically they look like tougher shots, just because that's his bread and butter. My second question for you guys is it's kind of a two-parter. So how would you define right now, very early in the season, but how would you define Drew Holiday in this offense? Like what is his place in the offense? And then ideally, what does it look like by the end of the season? Because out of all the starters, and again, it's obvious because he's the new guy. But I'm not sure if he, if I can say he has a role yet. Like he, he's very good at, like you said, in the dunker spot, especially finding like Brooke or Bobby or whoever happens to be there. He's been very good in traffic and getting to that open guy, either pump faking the defense onto him and then finding the guy or whatever it is. But outside of that, it seems like he's definitely the one guy that like sticks out a little bit as. Uh, Maybe I'm being unfair because he has been producing and it's not like he's been bad whatsoever. Like I'm quite pleased with it, but I'm not sure if I could say he has like a defined role just yet with this offense. I don't know what your guys thoughts are on that.
2: I think at the moment he is the kind of steady presence where you kind of let Giannis and Chris do most of the work, but when one of them is struggling or one of them seems they're going off the rails, then Drew steps up, takes control of the offense, and that's when he kind of like what we saw in the Lakers game, he was able to get a couple of assists over to Brook Lopez for easy dunks. He was the one that was able to get, you know, a good mid-range shot for himself. It seems as though that's kind of what Drew's role is in my eyes, is kind of like the stabilizer where he's kind of there to keep the balance. He's kind of there just to make sure that if things go wrong, then he is the steadying presence, so that you can still put out a lineup of Drew one of Giannis or Chris and, like, a bunch of bench guys, but at least you still have Drew out there. I feel as though the Bucks really struggle is when he – when it's just – what like, if it's just Chris or if it's just Giannis on the court. While with him, it's kind of a – he's so in control that it kind of helps. So I would say he's more of the stabilizer role. What I think he'll – he'll probably end up being more of a lead, kind of, like, more of the ball-dominant guard when we get further and he's more comfortable with the players and the system itself.
0: I think we're going to learn a lot more about what his role is going to be by watching how Giannis evolves this year, whether that Nets game is an aberration or if it's indicative of where they plan to go with him. Obviously, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, but if he's going to be working more off ball, we didn't, I haven't seen him do a lot of that stuff with Drew uh, super often, but I, I think in the end, if that's what Bud wants to lean towards, then I could see Drew moving into that moving into that role. I, I'm in agreement with Kyle that he is kind of a stabilizer. I like him out there as a secondary ball, uh, secondary ball handler, which is what he's comfortable with. He feels a lot more like a pure point to me than Eric Bledsoe ever did. I, I think he's got a much better vision. No, no offense to Eric. I mean, like I I, I always really liked Eric, um, but he, he feels like he has a lot more command of the offense when he needs to, those driving lanes are open and he's able to get in and, and use his craftiness to to score at the hoop. Uh, so I do think he's still trying to find his role, though. And I think these, you know, the, the nice thing about these last two games is offensively, we certainly saw his, you know, him take a step up. I mean, Bud is playing Giannis, Chris and Drew upward of 35 minutes pretty regularly now, which is a huge change from what we saw in seasons past. Part of that was due to the fact that they were blowing everyone out. But still, we're seeing him lean more heavily on these three players. And so I think Drew, as a little bit more of a pure point, who can also offer some scoring inside, uh, seems like where he's going to end up when the season ends.
1: You know, again, I think I have to unlearn things from the past seasons more than the team does because I'm so used to like, Eric Bledsoe's imprint on the offense was everywhere because he had the ball a lot. And it was like, we know the two types of shots he's going to do. It's either going to be drive to the rim, or like we said, the heat check when nobody asked for the heat check three, those are kind of like his two, his two roles. And so I I think it's probably actually good that drew isn't necessarily like dominating a role just yet, or like really having an outsized influence of this is how we're going to play stylistically, because these are my strengths. Um, I think he's still playing to his strengths, but more so, it, part of it is maybe deferring a little bit. Like you guys said, I, I think your point, Adam, about him, one, not preferring to be the lead point guard, I think that's also kind of showing out a lot through what we're seeing as well, where it's still a lot of Chris, a lot of Giannis bring the ball to the court or initiating the offense. And it's not like it's not going well. We have the, I don't know if we still have the best offensive rating in the league. I, I haven't checked in a couple of days, but we I mean, were still very high in the league in terms of creating points for ourselves. So it's not like him not being the lead point guard every time down has been a detriment to the team. So I suppose I just have to unlearn the lessons of the past to better appreciate what Drew's doing.
0: We should also recognize his, we saw first and foremost his defensive capabilities on full display. I mean, this last week guarding Harden got the first assignment against Harden guarded him a little bit differently than Eric Bledsoe did, you know, pretty similar idea that Bud seemed to employ, where he wanted to force Harden to do his right. You could see that a lot of times. They did a couple switches with like Drew, um, Drew and Dante. Dante got some stuff against Harden, didn't look super great in those instances. But uh, so Drew had Harden. Drew would occasionally have Durant as well, and then he also got the the LeBron assignment, which um, was impressive. So I mean, that's what that's what we were. Uh, He basically came as advertised, right, Kyle, defensively?
2: Yeah, I would say defensively he has been as good, if not better, than what I had expected from him. He's very lively, it seems like. He's able to poke the ball out of the defender's hands. He just seems to interfere with the passing lanes, kind of similar to Dante, but better, where he's in the passing lanes, he's able to poke the ball out, he's creating a lot of steals, and... You know, I can't think of when he's on the ball, he's really, and it's because he's so strong, he can handle, you know, someone like Anthony Davis pulling up and winning that battle. I, I'm very impressed with what I've seen from Drew Holiday defensively, and I may have sold him a little bit short. Like, I knew he was going to be a good defender, but I didn't think he'd be this good of a defender where I at least know maybe if Milwaukee needs to get a little bit more aggressive, that's going to work into his hands perfectly where he's able to be more aggressive, kinda maybe he'll get called for reach and file every now and then, but I have confidence that he can poke the ball out or at the very least disrupt a ball handler's rhythm. So no defensively he's been everything and more. Offensively he's been steadying and I think we're really seeing why Milwaukee made the move that they did to try and get him because he has brought something to this Bucks team that I think the Bucks needed and that the Bucks didn't have in the last few seasons.
1: It, it's an absolute trip watching this dude like body guys who are four or five inches taller than him. Like KD all night long. It was just like, God, it looks so like I would be so annoyed. It, like it looks like such a chore to try and get her on holiday, posting him up. You're like, Oh, I have like four inches over this guy. And yet he plays it. Like I said, the strength is so on display against such a range of different players. He still has the speed to read and react to different plays He is um, handling pick and roll coverage a little bit different from the way that Eric did, whereas Eric was like, I'm just going to run into the screen guy at the same time that you run into the screen guy and hope you don't get around me or whatever. Um, But with Drew, so he's a little more finesse in that regard, but it's, there's nothing more fun than an ostensible guard, like bodying a forward or a center and being like, you're just not going to get past me. And for the most part, they really don't. And and even more impressive, he does all that without fouling. Like I haven't looked at his foul numbers, but it's very rare that Drew gets posted up and he actually like has to file to prevent a basket. So I agree with Kyle. Uh, Totally as good as advertised, if not better. It's been a lot of fun watching him on that end.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch the picker. I think one of the reasons that Bud, I think switching makes sense, obviously a lot with Drew because he's a switchable defender. I also think just from watching him, I don't think he's super interested in doing the Bud blow through this screen with as much strength as you have. I, I think he's like, look, dude, I can, I got pretty long arms. I might just go under on Doncic. Like, it's just a little bit easier for me. Like, so in that regard, kudos to Eric Bledsoe for being like, okay, you want me to run through this literal man? I will run through him even though I'm like six foot two.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and Drew's like, dude, I'm gonna have to guard James Harden tonight, I'm guarding <laughs> KD tonight, I'm guarding Kyrie tonight. I got LeBron on Thursday, I got <laughs> on Thursday. Like, I gotta conserve myself a little bit to you know keep my minutes up here if I'm gonna be effective. So I don't, I don't blame him. And that's not again, just so used to seeing Eric, and that was such a tool, and it's like such a great part of what made him a great defender was like there was just there was no calm moment for a ball handler just because he was always right on top of him even if there was a screen so it is a difference in style um in substance but not necessarily a drop-off just something we have to continue to adjust to especially everybody else around uh drew especially
0: all right so one other thing i want to talk about We, we could definitely talk about the bench but to be honest i don't really want to talk about the bench um so what I do want to talk about is take your temperature on the other two starters, because we've been pretty quiet about them. We talked a little bit about Brooke earlier. I think he had an okay week. It felt like there was some, it, it, you know, potentially some animosity towards him on, on Buck's Twitter this past week. I thought he would, I don't know, I think he's played pretty well. But him and also Dante, who has definitely come back to earth, shown some limitations in these larger games. Um, I, I would not say he has taken the full step forward uh, at this point, just might be hitting a little bit of a wall, but... I don't know, Kyle, where are you at on, on Brooke and Dante in the, in the wake of these marquee games?
2: Well, I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago in my panic in the 4 and 4 but Brooke, the numbers are making it better than what we're seeing. It seems as though Brooke has completely dropped one or two levels, which isn't true. He's, he's shooting the ball, if not better than he was last year. He's shooting the ball more in the corner, so he's getting better shots. It's just that his rim protection hasn't been as good as it was last year, which is fair because last year he was doing it at such an elite level that you could have considered him for an all-defensive team. He's it's he's increased his following. I don't think he's as bad as Bucks Twitter is making it seem like he is. I am not calling for him to be traded immediately. If you can get a good deal for him, sure, trade him. But he's not that bad. He's not start Bobby Portis ahead of him he's not playing that bad either so i think he's not playing as well he's still playing well enough in my eyes where you can justify him being the starter he's it's just he's a little bit he's just struggling a bit but still playing at a good based on all the numbers that you see on clean the glass and nba.com and basketball reference dante on the other hand i think dante's fine he was not going to continue shooting as well as he did at the beginning of the season that would have been unrealistic. He's still defensively gambling. I think he's just gambling more on defense, which is now biting him in the ass. While early in the season, he was getting those steals. He was creating those turnovers. Now he's kind of missing, and that and that ends up him getting burned a bit on defense. Offensively, he's not shooting as well. He was shooting like 50-60% at the beginning of the season. Now he's probably shooting mid-30s. I think that's more what we expected out of him. And I think with... Giannis, Chris, and Drew taking more of the load offensively. They haven't had as much chances as they did maybe earlier in the season when Drew was still trying to find his footing, but the other two guys, they knew the system. They knew how to play with them. So I'm not – I would say Dante's taking a half-step forward. I think if we had to compare him to how Wes Matthews is doing right now, I think Dante's winning that battle. But he he needs to be better, and Brooke can be better. So I'm not – as harsh on them as some other people are, I guess. You
1: know, the thing about Dante is, if you think about it, right? So he lost his rookie season to the fact that his foot almost fell off. Okay. (laughs) Sophomore year, which is really almost his rookie season, it ends early because of COVID. And then you have the bottle. So in a way, this is like his real rookie season. And it, so it makes sense that he's running into a rookie ball. He's just got <laughs> drafted. Uh, you're out there in the starting lineup. You thought you almost got traded. So everything makes sense. I get where Dante's coming from. Uh, <laughs> I, I agree with Kyle that like he... Uh, to, I'm not too worried about like the defense thing. because Even against the Nets, he didn't look great when he was guarding Harden, but he was still able to force a couple steals here and there. It's not like he's a total net negative by any stretch. I think it's more so... Again, I don't know if it's like the scheme getting slightly different. Trying to I'm not worried about that. His three-point shooting, it's not that shocking that it's gone bad again because he's generally been a bad three-point shooter, like a mediocre three-point shooter in his NBA career. Um, and I I don't think that he's been bad enough where you're like, well, you have to try and start somebody else. I really don't think that's necessary. I think it's been just fine with him out there. So he's the definition of fine uh, I don't know. It's whatever. I don't feel all that strongly about Dante. He he is the guy. If I was to guess, he probably has the lowest usage out of the five starters. Um, at least when they're all out on the court, and that's probably the best way to use them. For Brooke, it, it feels like a lot of people have been like, oh, he's like lost step, but like that would assume that he had a step before, because he's always been kind of like he's not <laughs> like the most mobile or like super hyper athletic guy. So I'm not sure if it, and it is true that when you're that size, even just like, quote, losing a step is catastrophic. Uh, but he's not, again, asked to do a lot of movement. They just kind of like sit him under the basket, which is fine. So I, I'm not, you know, I, I, maybe the reaction times aren't necessarily there, but I would agree that it, it doesn't, I don't know, I don't even notice it. It looks all that bad, but I didn't notice in the past that he was like, you know, oh my God, like the numbers have always looked good. So I guess it just kind of looks like more of the same from him. Um, more so, I think it's good that he's shooting better from three because he had a really, you know, tough stretch, especially last year for a lot of the year. Um, and, and I think it's also been promising that there have been times where he's either either in that dunker spot, like you were saying, Adam, um, he's like kicking, getting kicked out, recognizing a mismatch because the other team doesn't have enough size to guard him and he just kind of waltz to the paint. There have been some post-ups. So I think they're both – the reason why we're not talking about them a lot is because they've been literally fine. They've been not great enough to be like, wow, they're having really great nights uh, besides every once in a while. And they haven't been huge negatives or is like, oh, we're dying with them out there. So I think you know, it, it, it just drives home the fact that at the end of the day, the big three guys, Chris, Giannis, Drew, are going to be the ones doing the heavy lifting – um, you hope to be just fine from Brooke and Dante and occasionally get an above-average game, especially in the playoffs. Um, and I think they're both fine to go for decent amounts of minutes and not hurt you, which is what's going to matter most, um, especially different rotation and things like that. So uh, that's they're fine. They're literally fine.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, and just to back up some of the numbers, I mean, yes, the, the Bucks are not the amazing Outstanding world beaters at the rim they were last year. So they allowed 55% shooting at the rim last year, which is absolutely insane. Insane. This year they're at 60.8%. They were number one in the short mid-range section, which is like between the restricted area of four feet and the free throw line, so 14 feet. They were at 36.7% uh, there last year. They're at 39.5%, so pretty close. Um, but I was I was thinking that might be an area because it does feel like players are 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 hitting that floater over Brooke maybe a little bit more this year or they're just getting some of those mid-range shots to fall but I mean overall I think Brooke is basically what Brooke was last year they're using him a little differently offensively and I th- I think he'd be fine too and I, I think you look at the alternatives and, and clearly when, when we continue to have conversations about how the the bench is coming up short in these large performances you, you need to rely even more on your starters and I mean, frankly, I, I think Brooke acquitted himself like pr- pretty well against LeBron on those switches, like say what you want, but he, he could have easily got just roasted and he just, you know, allowed LeBron to hit a step back three. So I, I would say Lopez has always done pretty well in those instances.
1: Final question before we wrap things up. Speaking of the bench, are you guys still in on Bobby Portis? Are we are we still thinking Bobby Portis greatest thing since sliced bread? What are we thinking?
0: I'm still in. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, he's been by far the best bench player. I don't even think it's close. Like, I, I mean, these other – and if Bud is not going to play Tory Craig and DJ Wilson, Bobby Portis, just be Bobby Portis, man. Like, we, we need it a little bit. We need some Bobby Portis from out of you. So I think he's doing fine. I think he does some different stuff on the floor than Brooke. I mean, he'll, he'll run it. He'll want the ball in the mid-range or whatever and then do some weird stuff with it. Um, so I think he's been, I think he's been fine.
2: Yeah. I actually don't think he's been as much of a disaster on defense as we thought he was going to be. He's held his own. He still struggles on defense. Don't get me wrong, but he has been, I would say below average. While before I thought he was a bad defender. Now he's just a below average defender, which is good because if there's, if he's not going to be above average on defense, he's got to start scoring. So, and he's still scoring efficiently, still getting the baskets that he needs runs to the rim hard, can't – if there's one thing with Bobby Portis, he's not not trying hard. He has given it his all, and I will always appreciate that.
1: I was going to say, defensively, it's not for a lack of effort. It's just he gets, like, lost out there. It is funny, though, there's a possession against – I think against the Nets where he, like, in transition – somebody lost the ball. In transition, he stopped the fast break. And, like, the Nets – so he was, like, the one guy who, like, didn't foul, stopped the fast break. And then I think like three seconds later off the offensive rebound, the Nets scored anyhow. But after that possession, after the Nets scored, Bobby Porter's turned toward the bench and did his like flex thing. I'm like, we just got scored on. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I appreciate he's, he's an utter psycho. And the, the amount of like flexing that he does, I'm like, this is the flexes per 36 have got to be league leading. So shout out to Bobby for that. Um, do we have any thoughts about Tory Craig not playing? Do we care? I keep getting this is behind the curtain. Uh, co co overlord of the site, Mitchell's telling us that uh, we need to calm down talking about Craig because Tory Craig's a huge negative on offense. But last time I checked, I think Thanasis is also a huge negative on offense. So I just wanted to put it on the record that I endorse Tory Craig minutes over Thanasis minutes if we can make that happen.
2: That's exactly my point. Like it'd be one thing if Bud is only going to play, you know. Portis, Augustine, Connaughton, Fords, and that's it. Like he's playing those four guys off the bench and that's it. I can live with that. It's the playing Thanasis seven minutes against the
0: Lakers for me. Like why? Well, but you saw that two way sequence he had where he jumped up, blocked AD at the rim, ran the floor hard and got paid off on the other end with a dunk. I mean, that's, (laughs) you don't want to miss out on that. Honestly, I, I don't really to be I, I can't quibble with the rotation. I think Bud is putting for the most part the best players out there. seven minutes from Thanasis, it's stupid. it's dumb. I don't really think seven minutes from Tory Craig is gonna fix anything. Um, he, he's gonna be treated the exact same way as Thanasis. maybe he won't do as much crazy jumping around on the other end. Um, but I I mean who knows it, it, it's very possible. We, we've seen Bud bury people before. we've seen him all of a sudden bring people out of the out of the cellar one in Tory Craig's probably like one injury away from getting minutes. And then all of a sudden he's in the rotation or whatever for a while until someone else comes back. We saw this happen with, when Tony Snell got hurt he, for that playoff run, he basically just lost his spot. So, it, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think Tory Craig's going to honestly answer almost anything for this team. He's definitely not going to be a solution. If, if, if our championships are, hopes are reliant on Tory Craig, then, we're not going to win the championship. So I, I'm, I'm just not getting too bent out of shape over it.
2: Yeah, but it, I guess for me, it's just more when you're playing a team that has Kevin Durant and James Harden or LeBron and Anthony, D- like that's where you have Tori. That's why you have Torrey Craig, I feel like. At least throw him out there. He's not going to get you anything on offense, but he can at least annoy them enough on defense that it's worth a shot. That I mean, they had Pat Connaughton guarding Durant and James Harden at points. And you can't tell me that Tory Craig is not... Significantly better on defense than Conanton, where yes, if Conanton takes a shot, he'll likely make it. But there, it's just, it's kind of those things. It's those type of games where you know the other team has this outstanding offensive player and you throw Pat Conanton out there or Thinosis, and it's just, no, no, that's my issue. Like, if you don't want to play him mean, tonight, fine, whatever. I don't care. I mean, it's the Hawks. I don't expect him to be Trey Young. That's probably going to be Drew Holiday. But for those other games, you have. I think he should at least get a look.
1: I think the main issue with Tory Craig is that he's like one of the shiny new toys. So it's like, well, I already know what Thanostasis is. He's a psycho. I already know what Pat Connaughton does. All right. He's whatever. I want to see the new guy out there. The other thing is, in the aftermath of the Bogdanovich stuff, it was like, Every free agent signing that came across is like, I've never heard of this guy before or barely know him, but I've been told that he's good. So this is like, I'm being built up after that letdown of like, well, Torrey Craig's going to defend Paul George in the finals. So it's going to be totally fine. Uh, So I think that's probably bleeding into it. But even Torrey Craig on Instagram the other day, he posted like a highlight of him from high school. He's like back when I used to be a bucket, which seems to indicate that he too recognizes that he's a very bad offensive player. Um, so that probably has something <laughs> something sure. to do with the fact that he's not getting a lot of minutes, uh, lack of confidence in himself, and then probably whatever he's showing in practice is the reason. So, not the end of the world. It, it just it'll be cool eventually to see him. It's a long season. He'll probably get minutes at some point. So,
0: Tory Craig. All right, let's take a break here. On the other side of this, we'll we'll uh, we'll hear a film review from Kyle, make our predictions, and close it out. So stay tuned. Alright, we're back. Kyle, take us right into it.
2: I've watched the worst movie imaginable. It was so bad. I did not finish the movie. I didn't even... I got 15 minutes in and said, F it. I can't do this. I knew it wouldn't be good. I was told going into this movie it was a bad movie. So I at least had the very low expectations, and yet it still was low. And my friends... This movie I am talking about, it got a lot of publicity, both good and bad. It has a cast where you expect it to be not shit. Cats. I watched Cats a few weeks ago, and I got 15 <laughs> minutes in, and I was trying to hold out until we at least got to Jennifer Hudson singing, and I couldn't do it. I Emma and I were like, no, we're done. We turned it off. We watched a different movie, but... It it is worse than I had imagined. Like, I was told it was going to be a bad movie. But I figured it was just going to be the, you can at least just laugh through it bad. No, I couldn't even laugh through it. It was just cringy. It was awkward. It was terrible. I honestly wish I had those 15 minutes back. I could have done something productive, like do dishes or maybe even, like, did a short workout. I could have done anything else, and that would have been a better use of my time than what I spent on Cats. Because, again, with the cast that it supposedly – the cast it has, like it had Taylor Swift, it has Jason Derulo, it has Rebel Wilson, it has Jennifer Hudson, it has James Corden, it has Idris Elba. This cast should not be this bad, and yet it is a diabolical, awful movie. I'm a musical person, and even I couldn't – tolerate. like if you're not a musical person, don't even bother. This is – Complete shit show of a movie. Whatever scores I've given all the movies I've given in the past, add it all together and throw a negative sign in front of it, and that's Katz's review. God, that was it was it was the worst movie I've ever seen. To the fact that I didn't even see the whole thing.
1: Have you ever seen the 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 play the the like actual musical?
2: I have. Like I've seen like a play of it. Yes.
1: And what did you think of that?
2: It was bad, but at least it's like. You can't
1: <laughs> <be through> it. <laughs> you can't part of it is it. once you once you invest the money and you're in the theater, you're like right. this like, is we're in for already, a shit show. But already sat down, it's awkward
2: if you leave halfway through. Like you're committed to that. Like you are committed. At least with this, it was on HBO Max, so I just had to log on the app, realize it was terrible, and just stopped it. I'm praying that sterling and baby two do not want to do cats as a musical because i might just have to say i can't do it i love you both (laughs) this might be one where emma and i are probably gonna have to like flip a coin to see who's gonna have to take go and sit through it
1: (laughs) which so it it had a budget of 100 million dollars i'm looking right now which is a lot of money that's that's not chump change that's a lot of money uh what would you guess the box office total box office was how much do you think it earned
2: Well, the problem, see, it's tough because I would think it didn't make that much money because after that first week and everyone's like, do not see this movie. Uh -uh. But on the other side, because everyone's like, it can't be that bad. Let me check it out. So if it's, if it was a hundred mil, I'll say 30 million.
1: It made $75 million. $75 million. That's not bad. Only a loss of $25 million. And I'm seeing here some other research. It might have been like over $100 million loss, which is that rule. So that's the case. I love I love the film industry, that stuff. Now, I'm curious how you would do a Cats 2. It uh, feels like box office flop like that. And also, I don't know what the plot of Cats is. Can't imagine there's enough to go off of for a sequel to, no, to Cats and two.
2: They can't do – well, the, I think the biggest problem is they did like a live action – like this is supposed to be like the live action cast, so like they still had like the cast, but when like in a cat suit or like it was CGI to make it look like it was just it just looked terrible. So maybe they just did like an animated version. It could like an, I think an animated version could at least be tolerable or passable.
1: Yeah, Hollywood. Hope you're tuning in, big execs. Uh, whoever you have to be, ever to this make it
2: again. And oh my god, that was so bad. <laughs>
0: You know the whole thing about the butthole cut of that film. Yep, Didn't get that far either. Yeah, there's a guy whose whole job was to remove everyone's buttholes from the uh, from the cut of the film. Cause apparently the first cut had, every cat had like a butt. Between so he had dad, to go and back it, and you know, remove junk being there, invisible, apparently. Like, it's just... God. Oh, Jason Come um, <laughs> on. Well, did you did you see it,
1: Adam? Have you ever seen Cats?
0: No, that, I, I I like musicals for the most part. That one's just always seemed like, you know, I like out there things, but that one's always just seemed like pretty out there. I don't really even understand what the plot is. They're like Jellicle cats. Jellicle is not a thing. Yeah, but they're but they're like magical. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I will say, if you had to introduce someone to a musical, you should not show them Cats. Like that is like Cats gives musicals a bad rap. Okay. Just have them watch *The Greatest Showman* instead. Which?
1: Watch *The Aristocats*. Or watch that. *The Aristocats*. If you want a cats film, a film about cats with music, watch *The Aristocats*. It's a classic.
0: Or Lion King*. <sighs> all right. Well, there it is. Don't see cats. All right. Let's let's make our predictions. So the Bucks have three games coming up between now and our next podcast, all on the road. First one is at the Tampa Bay Raptors on January twenty seventh, January 29th. At the New Orleans Pelicans, and then the thirtieth at the Charlotte Hornets. Riley, how are you feeling about this next week?
1: I think they're gonna go. I think it will go three and zero. No particular reason. The Raptors suck this year. They've been awful. Uh, Pascal Siakam looks like an utter fraud. I mean, just he swindled them, and good for him for swindling them, but he did swindle them. <laughs> Uh, um, the Pelicans, uh, they've actually been pretty good this season, right? I, I haven't really been paying much attention, but uh, Eric Bledsoe revenge game, I'm going to go with the opposite. It's going to be true holiday revenge game. And then uh, Hornets, uh, now that we no longer have to have Eric lose his mind against uh, Terry Rozier, I'm going to guess that we'll be okay in that. So I guess 3-0 and this week, a uh, lot of travel, but uh, they'll hang tough, I think.
2: I'm going to say 2-1. and one. I think they beat the Raptors, who are frauds. I think they beat the Pelicans, who. It's going to come down to whether Brandon Ingram plays well or not, and I trust that Milwaukee will defensively do enough that they will do, that they'll win. I mean, they lost to the Timberwolves, and the Timberwolves are terrible. So if you can't beat the Timberwolves, I don't know what to tell you. Just make sure Brandon Ingram doesn't score like 15. You're fine. But I think they're going to lose to the Hornets, and the only reason is because I can. I feel like this is going to be... It's on the back-to-back, so they're going to be traveling. I can see Gordon Hayward just get, like, 30 points out of nowhere. I can see Lamella Ball getting a couple of assists. I can see Scary Terry. Like, I see this being a very weird... I'll I'll say this one is probably going to be an outlier just between the travel, the back-to-back, and... The Hornets are... They're not bad. They're like, they're just on the cusp of they're fun to watch, but they're not good, but they are good enough that if they were to win, I wouldn't be surprised.
0: So I'll say two and one. I'm going to go three, and oh. Raptors stink Pelicans. I don't know what's going on with them and the Hornets. I don't think are that good. So three, no. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode. Go to brewhoop.com for all of our coverage of the games this week go to all go there for all of our recurring columns like and subscribe to the podcast share it with your friends and we will talk to you again soon